Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer's new study, What Does Spirituality Mean to Us?, reveals how spirituality informs our understanding of ourselves and each other and inspires us to take action for the common good. Explore these findings and more at spiritualitystudy.org. I'm Krista Tippett. Up next, my unedited conversation with Pastor Otis Moss III and the wisdom of the mystic and theologian of the civil rights movement, Howard Thurman. There is, as always, a shorter produced version of this wherever you found this podcast. So QuickTime is now rolling. Thank okay. you so much. It's recording. And I'll do some syncing on, on my end afterwards. And with this Yeti mic... Yep. Uh, you sound again, great. It does sound good. Okay. Yep, it sounds right, because I have it turned... Not toward me, but away from me, like you said, right? <laughs> Which is strange. You are a prankster. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Moss. <laughs> hey, I, hey, I get it. I, I work yep. with audio engineers. They, yep. uh, they're always telling me what we, what we need to do. If we had this mic, it would sound much better. Like, <laughs> we don't have that mic budget, but I like the idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when Krista sits back down, I think the two of you can jump right into it. Okay. Um, I'm going to mute myself. Okay. And it sounds, okay. Like, sounds like Krista's back. I'm muting myself. Oh, fantastic. You two are I'm back. free to get started. So, um, let me, well, are, do people call you Pastor Moss? What do people in your congregation call you? I'm just curious. Some say, you know, Pastor Moss, mm-hmm. uh, Pastor O. Uh, <laughs> I probably <laughs> won't call you Pastor O on the air, but I like knowing Reverend that. Reverend O M three. I mean, these all kind of names. You okay. Know, and you get, okay. But Pastor Otis, Moss you know, would the, be that, a. That's fine. Okay. Or yeah. just Rev. You know, and we Rev. were in Augusta, Georgia. It was actually, it was never Rev. It was always like R-E-B, Rev. Oh. Um, so it was very... We had a wonderfully, beautifully Southern congregation. They're like, rip. You know, that's how they would communicate. Wow. Um, so, so I, I, you, you have said that, um, that Howard Thurman is one of the most influential theologians and, and I think one of the most underappreciated. And I agree with you. I feel like he's a voice and not just a voice, but a, but an element of the civil rights movement mm. that's kind of hidden from history. So, mm. so, so, the, so we're not partaking of the whole lineage in some ways. And so what, what we want to do with this show is introduce him to a wider audience. Um, but, and so, so we'll talk about him, but also through how his teaching is alive and embodied in you, right? A, a pastor... And a and a, and an actor for social justice in this twenty first century world of rupture. Um, so it, I, I think it. So I'll 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 guide us. But t- you know we're going to kind of go back and forth. We're going to kind of do you know him and you together. Does that make sense? Oh wow. Okay. Does, okay. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> and I, I have my copy of the sacred text, Jesus, I'm Disinherited, with me. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, and so I may I may read some passages. Um, I, I will say, just starting out, I like you know I like amidst all of your all of the um, the uh, official 
uh, facts of your bio, you know, the pastor being the pastor of Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago, studying at Morehouse College in Yale and Chicago Theological Seminary. You also note that you've been highly influenced by the works of Zora Neale Hurston, August Wilson, Howard Thurman, jazz, and hip-hop music. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. And that's in your official bio. Um and I also will say I enjoy the Twitter handle sheltering and Wakanda. <laughs> when did you put that in? <laughs> yeah, as soon as the pandemic happened, I was like, I want to go to Wakanda right now. <laughs> right. If I can just stay in Wakanda and shelter there, I yeah. will be happy. And as soon as Chaswick Bozeman passed, I was mm. like, Wow. Oh yeah. I, I, I am sheltering in Wakanda and grieving oh, Wakanda at this moment. Yeah. My whole family was just hit hard. By I had that. not. Yeah, I, I, I had not put that together. Um, so, so your father. Otis Moss Jr. Um, was deeply involved in the civil rights movement, um, an important figure in that movement of the mid-20th century. Um, just tell me if I've got all this right. He, he became a pastor in 1954, which, you know, in my mind, we, we often kind of tell the civil rights story of the 1960s, but really you mm -hmm. have to go back to 1954, 1955, right? When the, the murder of Emmett Till, the Montgomery bus boycott, all those things set in motion that chapter of things that kind of, that came to fruition in the 60s that, that gets remembered, I think, more more vividly. Um, he was a regional director of the of SNCC, of the Southern Leadership Conference, Um did did Martin Luther King Sr. or Jr. marry your parents? It was Jr. Jr. Yes. yes. He have, must have been have really of the household. He must have been really young when he married them. Uh, he was. Yeah. He was. I was yeah. a little older than my father. Uh, my father was in, in school at the time yeah. uh, when he started pastoring. And he was a part of the Atlanta sit-in movement for the desegregation of Atlanta. Uh, mm -hmm. Another gentleman by the name of uh, James Orange. Uh, was was a part of that movement. Um, Marion Wright Edelman uh, was yes. was connected uh, with with that movement, uh, and uh, you know quite a quite a few other people. Lonnie King uh, was was a part, and they name. became family. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how my father became engaged with uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference. My mother was the office manager for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. So they literally met in the movement. I see. And um, and it looks like your you, your father also co-pastored the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta with, with Martin Luther King Sr. in yes. 1971, the year you were born. Um, I mean, you were born in 1971. 70. 70. Oh, 70. 70. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I think maybe Wikipedia has it wrong. Yeah, they have one they made, they made a year younger. That's fine. <laughs> born I'll take in, okay. the year. So born in born in nineteen seventy. Um and I'm but I'm imagining that the decade that had preceded your birth was still very much alive in your household mm -hmm. and in that world around you. Every every special occasion uh, at our church, Olivet Institutional Baptist Church, we had an individual uh, or community that was connected to the movement. Uh, I remember Andrew Young doing the uh, church anniversary. Uh, Wyatt T. Walker uh, was a part of Revival. I was told, uh, 
don't remember, um, but I was told Fannie Lou Hamer would make her way around the house at, at, really? at, at points. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and I remember my father um, flying to to Atlanta uh, for the funeral for Benjamin Elijah Mays, mm-hmm. uh, who mm-hmm. was the former president of Morehouse, but also was a mentor of Martin Luther King Jr. Did um, did you meet um, Howard Thurman? I never met Howard Thurman, okay. but I heard his voice often in my household. My father has this incredible collection of of Thurman tapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he gave that collection to to Morehouse to create the Howard Thurman listening oh. room. And probably you're talking really cassette tapes. Yeah, they, they are tapes. <laughs> they are tapes. Uh-huh. And when we would go on trips, when I was very small, mm-hmm. we would drive, um, you know, for, for vacation. Uh, we would hop in the car and go on vacation. And my father would play Thurman tapes, uh, part of the journey. Yeah. Uh, you know, he had some music that we wanted to hear, but we would, always, we would listen to Thurman also. And so I became familiar with his voice before I really knew who he truly was. Mm-hmm. If I ask you now, and you may have been conscious of this or, or not as conscious, how his 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 theology, his religious sensibility, mm-hmm. how did that imprint kind of the the mm-hmm. religious sensibility that you started to inherit and imbibe in your childhood? This, this, I have to tell the story. So I was about I thought about eleven, eleven or twelve, and Andrew Young uh, came to preach, and and Andrew Young loved engaging with young people, and he would. Uh, after service, he would talk with all the young people at the church. And when we went back to my father's office, I was minding my own business, being a PK, just wanting to go home, yeah. <laughs> as PKs do. And preacher's so decided, kid, we need to say that for uh, people. I'm yes. a preacher's granddaughter, Pre- so okay. I know what preacher's it is. Kid. Too. For yeah. those who don't know, preacher's kid, you, it's it's a life, it's a unique <laughs> right. culture. It is a fraternal sorority uh, that you are pledged into. <laughs> <laughs> and I was minding my own business because I wanted to go home, be with my friends, all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, been in church too long. So he engages me and he says, Otis, have you read Howard Thurman? I was like, no, I'm, I'm 11. No, I haven't read <laughs> Howard Thurman. Um, and so he looks at me. He says, I want you to go and get your father's copy of Jesus and the Disinherited. Mm. I want you to read it. And I want you to call me when you're finished. <laughs> And this is Andrew Young talking to me. I'm like, right. oh, okay, sir. <laughs> so so um, I went home. I never finished the book, but I read the first few pages mm. and it stuck with me. Um, this idea of looking at Jesus uh, through the lens of those who are disinherited and the imprint of his grandmother yeah. on on Thurman never left me. So that framework of, of Jesus as being this radical, revolutionary, um, nonviolent uh, person who was on the margins mm-hmm. uh, always was, was a part of, of my theology. 
and not an exclusive Jesus, but one who was just, I mean, just for, for lack of a better phrase, he was just down for the people. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that was the Jesus that I always saw. I never saw the one that was, you know, on TV, um, this, you know, this, this guy with the you know, kind of hippie Jesus, you know, the Jesus that I was introduced to was the one who uh, not only was at Calvary, but was also at Montgomery. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was the Jesus that I was a part of, uh, that I, I was introduced to. And my church embraced that Jesus and my uh, parents lifted up that Jesus. So I, I didn't encounter an evangelical Jesus till I went to college. Well, there's a lot to start with there. I mean, it, it's, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to read the first sentence of Jesus and the disinherited. Now, it is said that Martin Luther King Jr. carried three texts with him at all times. That's right. The Bible, the Constitution, and Jesus and the Inherited. Um, So interesting, because this book was written in 1949. um, But I think the the paperback was first published in 1969. Um, But in the first sentence is... uh, Many and varied are the interpretations dealing with the teachings and the life of Jesus of Nazareth. But few of these interpretations deal with what the teachings and the life of Jesus have to say, have to, say to those who stand at a moment in, hist- in human history with their backs against the wall. That phrase, um, that phrase is just, what is, is it, so tell me, let me just ask it, ask you the question this. So who who do, who do you understand Jesus was for Howard Thurman? And also, how does that relate to who Jesus is for you? For, for Thurman, Jesus was this human being who was so deeply, divinely connected at a level that no other human being in history has ever been. Um so his Christology does not, you know, fit into the highly traditional Christology of just divine and human. He saw them as divine and human, but as a mystic, um, he leaned on the human side um, and allowed the echo of the divine side to encircle his interpretation mm. of Jesus. Mm. Um, so he would say, we... I use the phrase that I learned at Morehouse that we were told about what, you know, that is a Thurman quote uh, that every Morehouse student was told Okay. Um, that uh, Thurman used to say all the time, but it really fits the way in which Thurman saw Jesus. He, we were told when we came into the King Chapel that Morehouse places a crown above our heads that we will spend the rest of our lives growing tall enough to wear. Mm. And it's, a reworking of what Thurman had said that God places a crown above our heads that we grow, that we spend the rest of our lives growing tall enough to where Christ places a crown above our heads. Depending upon when you would hear him speak, uh, he would use this phrase and change it just a little bit. But he saw our encounter, and that was the word that we, the encounter with Jesus, as forcing human beings to stretch but never reach. Hmm. Hmm. You you mentioned you you called him a mystic and mm-hmm. um, 
And I just, you know, it feels to me like in some ways he was so ahead of his time. I mean, it's, it's interesting to me. You were part of this documentary, and now I can't remember where I wrote down the name of that, about Howard Thurman. Um, and I noted down all the different ways people described what he was, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what was his role? And here are all these different ways. Pastor to the leaders, moral anchor for the movement, mm-hmm. had an established philosophical framework, teacher, spiritual activist, mystic, contemplative spirituality, nature mystic, talking to trees. This is where he was very <laughs> much ahead of his time. Um, saint for the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, I... I to me just even even just what you said it it feels um it feels it, I think it would be surprising to people who have a kind of basic what you learned in history about the civil rights movement to know that it had a mystic that who was the pastor to the to the yes. to the to the leaders and the teachers and the activists Yeah it's fascinating that so many people who are part of the movement have these unique uh, Howard Thurman stories. Hmm. Um, you know, of course, Dr. King um, made these connections with, uh, with Thurman. Um, you're, the SNCC community <laughs> yeah. had this connection uh, with Thurman. And Thurman was always pushing them on the inward journey. Right. On who they are and their encounter and to find, and his words, Find the sound of the genuine in you. Uh, discover that. Discover what makes you come alive. Uh, and the encounter with, with the Spirit, the encounter with silence, the encounter uh, with God, and that God is a God of justice. And, and those uh, two things together, right? That con- yes. contemplative and justice, that is, you know, that's an interesting juxtaposition. It's not kind of where 21st century minds go. No, not, <laughs> not at right? all. That's, that's so true. Yeah. Um, I, I want to, let me, I just want to, let me see. I want to find, um, <clears throat> so I just had something. Um, well, let's, yeah, let's, let's just. There's just something that came into my mind and went out. I've got all these notes in front of me. Oh, yeah, this is something you said in that documentary. Mm-hmm. You said you said he was the teacher. He was the mentor. He was the spiritual sage. He was not the one who was on the front line, but he was the one where people would retreat to to be filled. And that, that emphasis that he had um, on the connection between in, interior life, inner life, and outer action... Um, was was part of what was revolutionary and part of what was so powerful. And it, to me, it feels like just through the conversations I've had with the elders, civil rights elders, I just feel like that's a part of what was happening that was so critical that we don't have such a memory of. Mm. Um, and I just want, I, I don't know, do you, is, is that something, it seems to me that you just kind of grew up connecting those things organically because you were growing up with your father and around all those people. I think you're, I think you're spot on. That so, so much of what we do, especially in America, is so external. Yeah. Uh, and doesn't nurture the spirit. Uh, 
everything is transactional. Yeah. Um, and when you begin to nurture spirit, the spirit, as Thurman speaks of, um, social constructions fall to the wayside, though they inform. Um, but uh, all of the things that we use as markers begin to fall away. And to find the inward sea, as he says, that there's an island. Did he say that? The inward sea? <laughs> yeah, the inward sea. Wow. Um, that, and, and in the inward sea, there is, there is an island that, that everyone has in their spirit. And on that island is an altar. Mm. And next to that altar is an angel with a flaming sword. And in order to put what is most important on the altar, you first have to find the sea. You've got to get to the island and you got to get past the angel so that you can find what is truly genuine in you and what is most important. He said, once you find that, then you come alive. Mm. Then you discover what you have been purposed for. And wow. then you begin to work outward. So you work inward to work outward. Yeah. You have also said that he gave an, and if you use this word, an Africanity to mm -hmm. the interpretation of Jesus. Oh, yeah. um, say some more about what that means. Well, he returns Jesus to the the, the African Asiatic roots. Um, you know, prior to uh, the, the the Constantinian framework of, of Christianity. Uh, this mysticism, this engagement, this idea that there are things that we cannot touch nor control, but yet uh, we lean in nonetheless, uh, was was very common. Uh, we moved into a very strong doctrinal before the believe. kind of Western yeah. Chris Christendom. Yeah, I mean, it was necessary because mm -hmm. if you know because it was connected to to an empire, and mm -hmm. and empires demand that you follow particular orders. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and prior to that, there was this um, deep encounter idea, uh, which you would call the, uh, you know, the desert fathers and, and, yeah. and mothers and uh, all of that. And Thurman returns the faith tradition to the encounter once again, um, which Pentecostalism has an, a strong element of that. Um, but uh, Thurman deepens this Africanity because his primary theological teacher was his grandmother who was framing, interpreting scripture and the world through an African lens that she could say, you know, I, I appreciate Paul, but there's some stuff I, I, don't, I don't like him because he doesn't like me. Right, <laughs> so, right, right. And so he, so and he Thurman, tells all those. He tells those stories in Jesus and the Disinheritance. Yes, yes, it's, like that, it's yeah. so beautiful. And mm -hmm. there's this story that he that I absolutely love um, about about Thurman um, that he tells about his grandmother. That his grandmother owned some land, and there was a white woman who was adjacent to the land and did not like the fact that this black woman owned land. And so she decided she was going to get back at Thurman's uh, grandmother and went to her chicken coop uh, and got all the manure and dumped it into Thurman's grandmother's um, uh, on her land mm. and upon her tomatoes and her greens and everything she was growing to destroy it. 
But her grandmother, his grandmother, uh, when she would, she realized there's all this manure just yeah. had destroyed everything. In the evening time, I mean, in the morning time, she would get up in the morning and take the manure and just mix it in with the soil as fertilizer. Um, and so the woman would dump at night and Thurman's grandmother would get up in the morning and, and turn it over and mix it. Mm. And so the woman next door eventually fell ill. And she wasn't just mean to black people. She was mean to everybody. So, so nobody came to see her when she, okay. when she became ill. But Thurman's grandmother went next door and brought her some flowers and knocked on the door, heard this frail voice, and she came in. The woman was completely shocked that this black woman, who she had been so cruel to, uh, would come and see her. And she was so deeply moved by the kindness. And Thurman's grandmother places the flowers next to the woman. And the woman said, these are the most beautiful flowers I've ever seen. Where'd you get them? And Thurman's grandmother said, you helped me make them. Because when you were dumping in my yard, I decided to plant some roses. Mm. And Thurman talks about from the manure, what can blossom? There are some who who allow the manure to fall on them and others who just turn over the soil to make something new. That, That is so... African, it comes out of the black tradition because mm. we know manure, but we also know fertilizer that can plant new things. Mm. You, you said somewhere also, um, uh, here's Thurman who's influenced by nature, and that's also in that story, honestly, that, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the vitality of the natural world and what it teaches us. He's talking, you, you said, he's talking about the fact that you can encounter God in these different ways and that you must look not only into someone's eyes, but into the experience of other people to witness God working. And this fits with this kind of Southern black tradition, these stories about if you want to connect with God, go sit down by the riverside. Yes, mm. yes. Down by the riverside. Yeah. Underneath the shade of the tree. Um, <laughs> while you're cooking uh, your food, while you're walking the path. That, that's a part of the, the, the Southern tradition of being connected to creation and being stewards of creation. And Thur- Thurman was very clear with that. And, and black people connected with what Thurman said and with what Jesus, who was a country preacher. Everything he does is very rural and very country. Uh, So people from Southern settings understand when you start talking about seeds falling on ground. That's, you you don't do that in urban settings. You know, let's talk about seeds on ground. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But the Southern connection, oh yeah, seeds and ground and trees and rivers and, um, oh yeah, you know, like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Oh, I got that. I, I understand that. You know, it's interesting because this book, um, Jesus and the Disinherited, is, you could say, you know, you could read it and say, he's very critical of Christianity, the way it's practiced, um, mm-hmm. the way it, and, well, the way it was practiced in his time, the way it's practiced <laughs> in our time. Um, uh, um you know, and to be clear, in his lifetime, um, there were there were lynchings that people conducted right after church services, right? Mm-hmm. Like people went to church mm-hmm. on Sunday morning, and and um, 
and yet at the same time that it's it, it's actually though I I don't think saying it's critical of Christianity would be right because it's it's a deeply profoundly Christian book and it's mm-hmm. actually calling Christianity to a deeper understanding of who Jesus was to like it's to its own heart. Oh, absolutely. The Thurman does something so powerful. He's he's reclaiming uh, the tradition. He's interpreting the tradition. And he's indicting the tradition mm-hmm. all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So he's reclaiming, said, this is what you have lost. Uh, let me also reinterpret and give you this new hermeneutic. And then I also want to indict and raise a question. He's so smooth in how he does it, too. I mean, he, he doesn't yell from the rooftops. He whispers. No, and he's doing it. He's being so faithful to the tradition yes. at the same time that he's, that he's calling it out, right? He's being so yes. reverent. <laughs> At the same time that, as you say, he's indicting. Yeah. And, and that's so beautiful. To, you can tell mm-hmm. his deep love for it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but not, not a love for the manner in which uh, the white citizen councils practiced. Yeah. Uh, but reverence for how his grandmother practiced. Right. Uh, re- reverence for how Jesus practiced, who he's very clear was a Jew which many people like to completely <laughs> forget. forgotten. That's not on his resume. No, he's right. Jewish, y'all. He's Jewish. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so there is this tradition that he is, he is pulling on, um, that he is reminding people and said, you know, don't place Jesus on uh, your self-righteous shelf, uh, but engage him. And as has been said many times, Jesus will afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted mm-hmm. if you do it that way. Mm-hmm. So you and I are speaking in the momentous year of 2020, and um, I was watching the sermon that you videotaped, which is how sermons are done right now. <laughs> I like isn't it isn't it kind of good to imagine that somebody will listen to this in a future year and they won't understand what we're talking about because is, lockdown it, will have ended. <laughs> it's it's scary. It's to think about. It's like, what yeah. are we doing? What are we? Yeah, so I'm going to explain it for the future listener that that um, the sermon you delivered on, that you videotaped for on May 31st, for, I think you videotaped it for that. That would have been the Sunday, right? Um, the, George Floyd was mm-hmm. murdered yes. in the, my city of Minneapolis on May 25th mm-hmm. of that week. And your sermon, I, I want to talk about that. I want to mm-hmm. talk about what you preached and, 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 that's, and that as a way into how you are, how you're, how you're interpreting and applying this theology that we're talking about in our time. Um, um, yeah, so you had to do it as a video, and you put it out as a video before the Sunday, and you quoted that great song that we so that we so uh, vividly associate with the civil rights movement of the 1960s, you know, we shall overcome someday. And you said, this is a question and not a statement, when is someday? Hmm. Can you just talk a little bit about what came to you that week? And... Yeah, I mean, I want to draw ties mm. between what we're talking about here, but we, you know, you, I don't want to force that. Just talk mm. to me about that message. The fast-moving nature of what was going on that week. We had already, 
witnessed the videotape uh, murder of Ahmed Ahmad Alberry, mm-hmm. and then we are hit uh, with the the story of Breonna Taylor, um, which both had happened around the same time, but yeah. the the death of George Floyd. Um, and, and I said, I didn't say in the sermon, but I said that, um, you know, he preached a sermon for, for eight minutes and 46 mm. seconds. And it was just one phrase, I can't breathe. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And wanted the world uh, to, to hear this message. And there were, uh, yeah, there were a lot of people that were communicating what I would call kind of uh, very trite, um, easy theological framing and, and wanted to co-opt certain words and phrases from the civil rights movement and from the Bible. And this was a moment for lament. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Right. That, that language, right? That biblical language has never felt more needed. Yes. Lamentation. And America has difficulty with lament because we romanticize history. And we're so drunk on Confederate wine and don't even realize it uh, Mm -hmm. that when you use lament in some communities and for some ears, they hear that as as hate. and I respond is that I hate the death of George Floyd uh, and the system that created it, and that we have to learn how to lament. Our hearts have to break our, in the way that God's heart breaks, in the way that Jesus was lamenting uh, throughout a good portion of his ministry at what he was witnessing, sometimes turning over tables in anger and in deep pain. Mm. Mm -hmm. or on a tree slash cross saying, forgive them. They just don't know what they are doing. Uh, There, there's this lament. And then of course, in the, in the Hebraic tradition, the Jewish tradition, the prophetic tradition, the prophets lament. I mean, you, you can't get through a prophet without a prophet, you know, lamenting, crying, and just, raging at the a nation that just refuses to love and to act with justice. Mm-hmm. And, and Thurman clearly communicates that in Jesus and the Disinherited. He talks about the deception and the fear um, and moves on talking about finally the, the love ethic. But we've yet to deal with the internal deception mm-hmm. uh, that you know, being a part of, of America um, causes us. I, w- what I thought when I was working on that on that message is, strangely enough, Star Wars. Um, oh, I you and I weird. have more in common than I knew. <laughs> okay. I like it. Keep going. Oh. Yeah, it was really a very Star, Star Warsian, if mm-hmm. I can just make up that word, yeah. um, uh, moment because... Within the church and within America in general, there is, you know, there's the empire and there's the Jedis, 
And America wants to believe that it's the Jedi, but in reality, it's the Empire that thinks it's a Jedi. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And so what do you do when mm. you're trying to exercise your Empire demons mm. and you want to follow the path of, of, of a Jedi? You mm. got to find a Yoda. And right. is our Yoda. <laughs> you got to train. Yeah. I mean, that's a word that people like Vincent Harding and I bet your father, John Lewis and, you know, Ruby Sales. Like, you know, it's the practice. Mm. It's the training. It's the honing of your... And, and, um, and it's the failing, too. You fail in the, the process failing. of training. You, you said... Um, Something, something so powerful you said in that sermon, which I, I kind of heard echoes of, of Thurman. You know, you talked about your understanding of Christianity as a tradition of hope, unafraid to face horror, a tradition of possibility, unafraid to stare down pain. Hmm. So it's not about, it's not about being at all unrealistic, right? Idealistic. You don't want to, I, I have a real issue with the kind of triumphant, uh, easy, quick framings in spiritual traditions and in America in particular, um, because it feeds into something that is not authentic and not real and not human. And Thurman, who comes out of this black Southern tradition, if you're a, if you're a black Southerner uh, of that era, you are familiar with horror. Mm -hmm. you, you know pain intimately. You, you either have scars or you have just a little bit of the blood of, of others on, you know, on, on your sleeve because you witnessed it. Right. And you can't have the kind of faith that says it's just going to be all right. It's going to be all right, but we have to face the pain. And facing the pain doesn't mean that um, you become a complete hopeless cynic. It means that you operate with a level of, of realism and the only way, I think Baldwin is best when he says not everything you face can be changed, but not until you face it can it be changed. Yeah. Um, it, it, that we just have this proclivity to not want to face tragedy. And, you know, I'm sorry to say it, but much of mainline and, and Western Christianity really... Uh, is not, <laughs> unfortunately, because it's been so influenced by kind of the market. And I, yeah. I, I, I've said before, it's, you know, it's capitalism and ecclesiastical garments right. um, where it has the robe, uh, but it has no redemption. It has no deep love. It has no deep uh, contemplation. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's the challenge. And I think that that's what uh, Thurman offers out of that black Southern tradition he brings a weight, uh, and a reflective weight, uh, to a spirituality that is also unafraid to deal with, engage and dialogue with people who are, who have 
differing traditions. Yeah. It's not exclusive. Yeah, there's so much, so much there. I mean, you know, that sermon you preached, it was pretty challenging also, right? Like it, mm-hmm. for it challenging for people in pain too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you said, do not hide behind simple prayers. Mm-hmm. Uh, do not ask the question, where is God? The question God is asking of us today, where are you? And you were talking to everybody, I felt. You were talking yeah. to everybody who was listening. And there were people listening, watching it from all over the world. And they were black and they were white. And, uh, I, I, you know, there's a, there's a ter- Thurman tape a recording that you shared, which I feel also has this this notion of like challenge, um, redemptive challenge. I don't know what to call it. Um, do you want to talk about that? The um, what was it called? I didn't write down. Said, what do you really want? Yes. What do you really want? <laughs> and he starts out by saying, if we believe that life is finished, ready, then we know there isn't anything that can be done about anything. Or we mm-hmm. may be of them. But he says it so eloquently with his incredible voice. Yes, or we may yes. be of them, the mind that life in its essence is not fixed. It's not frozen. But life in its essence is fluid, creative. And he talks about how purposes, therefore, goals, deeds, ideals can fulfill themselves because of the fluid flowing character mm-hmm. of all of life. So he, he, he challenges um, in the context of the larger context of, of reality. And I, I, you know, I, again, I, I feel the echo of that in, in what you said to our moment. Um, tell me what that, tell me why that, that, uh, message that you sent along is especially important to you. It, it, you, you really hit the the nail on the head. The, the fluidity, uh, the complexity of mm. of life and creation and nature and the music that mm. is within it. That we have to learn how to to listen to what we hear. We think is this just cacophony of just noises, but. Within it, there's this beat and then there's this rhythm. And that's what Thurman is demanding that people reach toward. That you mm. stretch, you don't reach, you encounter, but you don't understand. The vocabulary that we even use for the sacred is so inadequate because the moment we speak it or think that we have designed, contained it, defined it, that God is so beyond mm-hmm. the human vocabulary. But yet, God can be not known, but maybe the unknown knowable or knowable unknown, depending on how you want to say it, mm-hmm. um, is the way in which we encounter that which is sacred. And so we know something, but not enough. It's just like scooping a, a teaspoon of water out of, a, out of an ocean and saying, oh, I've got it all. No. You've got a few molecules, you can do some study, you can understand a little bit, Mm -hmm. but the mysteries are too vast. But in that spoon of the little water, you can come to know something on your journey Mm. that will assist you. And that, as one more person more on the secular end would say, the the, the wildness of God. Yes, yes. fits so beautifully. And interestingly enough, Thurman's speaking 
in, in that, that particular piece that I sent, yeah. also connects to Thurman's view liturgically. That's why you have to have the arts in ah. worship. Oh. You have to have the, the dancer, the violinist, and the drummer, and the saxophone, and the piano. You have to have people who are taking music, which does not have a human vocabulary in the traditional sense that will be heard radically different from everyone else, but yet can be put to an order, but at the same time, every person who hears it will hear something different. No one hears the note the same way, mm. but yet it's the same note. It will not touch the person in the same way, but it's the same note. Yeah. And, and, and so when he did, uh, created the Fellowship of All People's Church in San Francisco. And that was the first intentionally multiracial, multiracial church in the church country, in right? In the United States, mm, yes. And when was that? That was in um, in the 60s, it right? was the 60s, I yeah. believe. Yeah, yeah, go on. When you, but when you, uh, mm -hmm. using all of these different elements um, mm -hmm. liturgically. So they might have a play in the middle of <laughs> worship service, a skit. Um, they would have a modern dancer, uh, not your traditional liturgical dance. Uh, they may have someone paint something. I mean, it was just, it was pretty incredible mm. and radical the way that he said that in order for us to encounter, there is the, the complexity of, of the sacred is, is something that we always have to stretch and move toward. Mm. Um, and we don't have that today. There is this need to contain and to, to sell and say it's this or that. And, it's so disrespectful to what is sacred. You know, something that feels so important to me, too, is that this, um, you know, as you, as you kind of alluded a minute ago, to the extent that people think about the wildness of God or kind of even contemplative meditative practices that, you know, culturally, people don't tend to think about Christianity in that. There's, there's, you know, there's a, a lot of, there's been so much learning from from Buddhist tradition, which, you know, and actually, well, maybe we can talk about this because Thurman also went to India in the 1930s right. and was way ahead of that as well, and right. actually was meditating in the early 1900s. Um, but he, um, but he started, he trained in the Quaker uh, mm -hmm. tradition, uh, which I just, I, you know, what I'm saying, I feel like. I, I I think it's worth reviving a memory that this is is a is it, that there's this tradition deep within Christianity too, and a voice like like Howard Thurman, and also that theology, you know, to me is that this what we're getting into is is what is is the the wonderful inheritance of theology that's not very well known culturally, mm -hmm. which is at one mm -hmm. and the same time addressing the cosmic and ineffable. You know, the contemplative and justice, right? As we said at the yes. beginning, the cosmic and the ineffable. And then, and then also this deep intelligence, this deep psychological acuity, this deep intelligence about how we actually work and how reality actually works. Um, I, 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 to me, uh, some, I wanted to ask you about, you know, in, in Jesus and the Disinherited, and you mentioned this a minute ago, just briefly. There's such he, the way he describes the human 
experience and uh, behavior that we call hate, mm. the way he describes the disease of fear, mm. um, these as things are yes. as yes. a disease, yes. and that these things are so alive. They they are human reactions that are as mm-hmm. old as time, and they are so alive and active. Uh, and really messing with our life together right mm. now. Um, anyway, just to me that 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 theology, just I, I I love having this conversation and putting that kind of that kind of intelligence in the context of theology. You know what I love that uh, you you stated. <laughs> you talk about the uh, the disease of fear that Thurman mm-hmm. speaks about and. And about hate um, and how that that is 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 a disease, and uh, we 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 often have not engaged um, the fullness of 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 experience um, and and how it affects uh, us on that level, and and that's what Thurman challenges. Um, uh, the reader and people who listen to him uh, uh, to do uh, to find out what is it that you have um, come to connect with that affects you. And I'm reminded of of an analogy. He always uses these beautiful um, pictures, mm. usually from He's so el- from eloquent. Nature. Yes, uh, there's this wonderful meditation that he does where he talks about what type of spirit are you. Mm. He says, um, are you a reservoir? Do you collect the water and you hold it to be dispensed at a later time? Are you a swamp? Because swamps just hold water, but they have no outlet, only inlet. And that is why so much dies in a swamp. Mm. Because it's all for them. But then there are canals (laughs) and rivers that always are feeding into something else. Decide, are you a reservoir, a swamp, or a canal? Mm -hmm. Mm. He doesn't tell you who you are. (laughs) Right. He just says, I want you to examine, after I've examined nature, and I've seen what nature says and speaks back to us, are you a reservoir? Are you just holding it to dispense later? Mm. Are you a swamp that you hold it for yourself and you end up killing everything around you in the process? Right. Are you a canal and a river where what is given to you will be released, but ultimately you will flow into something larger? That yeah. is the kind of communication we don't do anymore. We don't yeah. give people that those images. We don't give people that way of communicating. We we want to tell people what to think, instead of for and, and instead of asking people to journey into becoming what they are called to become. There, there's also ways that he he describes he describes like what happens in a human psyche and even in a human body with something like hatred or fear. In ways that I feel like neuroscience is just catching up mm. with, you mm. know. Um, he talks about, he says fear actually causes chemical changes in the yes. body. I mean, mm. I guess they knew mm. that back then, but I don't think I learned it until about 10 minutes ago. 
Um, he, you know, he says it is clear that fear, which served originally as a safety device, a kind of protective mechanism, finally becomes death for the self. Mm. Um, mm. He says the yes. whole experience of fear attacks the fundamental sense of self-respect and personal dignity, without which a man is no man. And you know, there's can like that's that's one whole way to talk about huge dynamics in our culture on every side of things. Um, mm-hmm. It's a kind of intelligence that we don't employ to really mm. get down to what are we working with here? So what are we yeah. working with? And then how do we how do we encounter that to you? <laughs> encounter that. And when you bring up the, the piece on fear, he's looking at fear, again, from the context, he's drawing from the fact that he is a child of Jim Crow. Yeah. Um, he's a grandson of enslaved people, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so he knew... Uh, he uh, uh, knew what fear looked like and what it would do to the human personality. And then there is a phrase that would be used in in the South, you know, in people, not just the South, but, uh, you know, old before their time. Um, (laughs) And they would talk about how that person became old before their time uh, or broken down as a result of life. You know, life broke them down. Life broke them down. Fear broke them down. But that was a way... And that Southern framing uh, to talk about the forces you encounter and the way your body would react. We call it post-traumatic stress and all that now. Um, But there were all of these ways in which the preacher and the elder sage was trying to give language to fear. And the fear that he speaks of in um, Jesus and Disinherited, he's also giving us a glimpse into his encounter in India uh, and helping us understand the wisdom he gained from connecting with his uh, Hindu brothers and sisters. Yeah, let's talk about that. So he went there in in 1936, Mm -hmm. and it sounds like, you know, he was... The other Americans who'd come to India were white. Right. And... His, so to talk about what you know of, about that experience and, and why that's important for you, too. Well, the, the first piece was that he, he came there. He was part of, a, was it the YMCA program? Um, like I'm that. Trying to remember. Yeah, something like that, that yeah. they, you know, hey, we're going to give you an opportunity to go and, yeah. and travel outside the U.S. And here you are, you know, this young, uh, very intelligent, uh, you know, star student. Well, we're going to give you a chance. And he encounters someone, same color as he, of a completely different culture, mm-hmm. <laughs> who raises the question, are you a traitor to your own people? And the reason he says, are you a traitor to your own people, is because you practice Christianity. Yeah. And all of our encounters, the British practice Christianity, uh, but colonialism and Christianity go hand in hand. So they would say, you know, Jesus saves and then say, give me your land at the same time. So there was a deep resentment um, that either the British 
don't know Jesus, or maybe this is just what Christianity is. <laughs> and so he never had someone put that uh, question before him because he was in and around, um, you know, in the United States, around, you know, black people who who practice a particular form yeah. of, of the faith tradition that was radically different. Uh, but it caused him to take what was intuitive and then contemplate and then of course write this book but he is again what's powerful he's drawn on the elements of 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 the black faith tradition he is africanizing the uh the christian tradition and not framing it out of an empire framework and is returning to uh the source and that moment i i really believe is is a major turn for thurman where he is able to walk a new path where he deepens his commitment to his tradition and then broadens it at the same time. Um, and this book and that moment is also, you, you connect the dots. Jesus and Disinherited yeah. um, is encountered by Martin Luther King, um, who then uses this as the framework where you hear the echo when he speaks at the Holt Street Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, where they're going to declare this boycott. Thurman comes mm -hmm. about because he writes this message. It takes him 20 minutes to write the message. He was in a car and literally writing it on a notepad. <laughs> okay, right. And it's this brilliant message that people are like, oh my gosh, this is a brilliant message. And he was literally just trying to get this thing you know, together mm -hmm. uh, when he stands and he brings civic religion along with um, the Christian tradition and then the black faith tradition merged all together in that pulpit. And you can hear the echo when he begins to talk about what our faith is. It's not the, the faith of the Bull Connors of the world. It's the faith of, he didn't say Bull Connor at that time, but yeah. uh, he's, he's not the faith of, of, of those individuals. It is also... Well, the Ku Klux Klan was a very Christian organization. Yeah. I mean, you can <laughs> say domestic that, right? terrorists. Yeah, the Ku Klux, which is a very fascinating thing that we've never that that historians refuse to use the term domestic terrorist terrorist mm -hmm. organization mm -hmm. until mm -hmm. very recently, mm -hmm. um, which is just fascinating. But that that would yeah. be a whole other conversation. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but uh, James Cone is also drawn to this book, which then frames black liberation theology. Mm -hmm. um, Alice Walker is then influenced by the work of Thurman and this book, mm. which helps frame a portion of what we call the color purple, where she is taking hold of the Zora Neale Hurston tradition and there are echoes of the Thurmanesque tradition mm. um, in both of those pieces. So you have this book that, and that moment in India where he localizes and global and, and becomes global at the same time. Yeah, and in fact, he does that right in the first pages of Jesus mm. and the Disinherited. It's like page four or five. He talks about being in India in that conversation. Um, 
Have you read Isabel Wilkerson's new book, Cast? I just got it. I cannot wait to read it. Because you know what? It's this, right? He made Mm. the correlation between the untouchables in India and the experience of being black Mm. in America and this Mm. matter of caste. As, a, yes. as as another way to think about race, perhaps mm. you know, and um, uh, and it being an American experience too, um, but also I I look at um, I just think about him standing with Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims in the nineteen mm. thirties as this deep 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 lover of Jesus Christian theologian, um, and then he took that sensibility into the civil rights movement, which to me also feels like a piece of that story that doesn't get told, that they were reading Jesus and they were reading Gandhi. And yes. they were and they were Yes. And Martin Luther King Jr. was nominating Thich Han for the Nobel Peace Prize. That's right. And That's I, right. I feel like I don't know if this is true. Like to me when I when I when I read I've known that, but when I read Thurman, I'm like, is he the one? Did he bring that element to the movement? Yeah, I think Thurman was the linchpin or the compass Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, helped recalibrate uh, people so that they could connect with uh, Gandhi and then become build relationships with Heschel. uh, Yeah, making all of these these connections and then um, seeing Kwame Nkrumah. Uh, and Pan-Africanism as mm-hmm. connected with it. Um, and it was just it, the, the building of these relationships um, becomes quite extraordinary. That Thurman is the nexus point yeah. for, for so many um, that allow just, them to, to, uh, to negotiate and move into different traditions, but yet stay rooted and grounded with the landmark that they grew up with but yeah. but not chained to it you you also sent along the um um him speaking about landmarks yes um talk to me about what what's important to you in that mm. in that uh, meditation from him I, it's so beautiful uh to talk about he talks about how be careful about moving your neighbor's landmarks yeah. um that the reference points, the the traditions, uh, the feasts and the famines, the the pains and the history, you don't know and you will never fully know their landmarks and who they are. And Thurman is saying, one, do not dismiss humanity because of difference doesn't mean deficiency. Um, Mm -hmm. Thurman is also demanding that we recognize the complexity and the challenge of building relationship. Yeah. You don't know their landmarks. Don't move their landmarks just because they are different, just because they come out of a different context, just because they listen to different music, just because they don't understand your, your perspective. Do not demand that they use your landmarks. Because that in itself is, uh, is an act of cruelty. Um, he's demanding the sensitivity of the heart. And that's what I love about Thurman. Any encounter with the sacred and with other human beings demands deep humility. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot 
be a person of a faith and of walking the spiritual path and be arrogant. <laughs> you have to say, you have to say, you know what? I don't know. You just can't. Then <laughs> it's like, it's a litmus test. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You can't make the claims mm-hmm. of, I know it all. No, you have to make the claim of, I have a spoon full of it. Right. But there is an ocean out there. Right. Ugh. And I love this spoon, you know, this good water I've got right here. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, but I don't know it all. Be careful of moving other people's landmarks. And in the process of building these relationships, we learn so much more about us. We learn so much more about God. We learn so much more about how we are, are to live, but it requires very quiet, easy steps and recognizing the importance of other people's landmarks. Mm. So glad you... um introduced that to me. I want to talk about something that feels really hard. Uh, mm-hmm. You were part of um, this Get Home Safely video. Mm-hmm. How, what yeah. was your, it, again, you know, thinking about backs against the wall mm-hmm. and how that phrase resonates again in our time, and it resonates in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh that was 2015. That was not 2020. That was 2015. Mm-hmm. How, was that a project of, of the church? or? It was, uh, it was a collective project, uh, mm-hmm. along with Christian Theological Seminary, mm-hmm. um, Dr. Frank Thomas, who's professor of preaching there at Christian Theological in Indianapolis, um, uh, and along with um, uh, a film group uh, that was based in Indianapolis. And uh, Dr. Thomas uh, preached for us, I usually preaches every year in, in, in December. And he saw our curriculum, Get Home Safely. And he said, oh, my goodness. Uh, tell me a little bit more about this. I said, well, it's a curriculum. Basically, we're teaching our children literally how to survive when they leave the, leave home. And we are teaching parents uh, what what to do if your child... In, and you're talking about at, black black children and black, black children. parents, right? Yes. Ten rules of survival if stopped by police. That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, we want you to come home safely. Mm-hmm. So w- one of the challenges is not only for, for young people when they have a, have, a, have an encounter with, with the police, but also adults, because um, if someone is picked up, um, <laughs> many times adults don't even know what their rights are, especially with, with a minor. Uh, so we were doing sessions. We had judges, police officers, and lawyers, uh, some who were prosecutors, some who were uh, uh, defense attorneys, along with parents and with young people. And we were doing classes to let them know, this oh. is what you need to know. This, these are your rights, and you need to know what your rights are. This is what you need to do if you want to be able to get home safe. This is not going to be a guarantee that you will get home safely because, unfortunately, because uh, you are black, uh, there there are those who will weaponize your very skin just by the mere fact that you're you're, you're black. And so, Dr. Thomas, when he saw it, uh, took it to Indianapolis. There was a film group there. They got excited about it, and so we became producers with uh, this film. We had the curriculum that kind of laid it out. They filmed it, and it was a part of a, a teaching campaign. And then we resurrected, unfortunately, um, 
the curriculum and just recently um, produced yeah. another film uh, called Letter to My Son. Uh, there was an open letter that I wrote to, to my own son, Elijah, um, yeah. you know, in the wake of, of the death of Michael Brown, of what it means to be uh, a young man in this world, um, that how much I love you, I, I pray for you, you are gifted, but there are some, there's some hard truths that you have to know about being a black child in America. Yeah, it's... I mean, and just for people who haven't seen it, and it really, these things have gone around the world, but, you know, the the ten rules of survival that get home safely is do not run, even if you are afraid. You know, stay calm and remain in control. Watch your words. Watch your body language. Watch your emotions. Remember your goal is to get home safe. There's a moment in the video, it's very short, but it's full of, it's like very pragmatic, right? It's... Mm-hmm. There's that moment where the mother is just saying to her son, who we see, your goal is to get home safely, and her voice cracks. And I, I think as a mother, you can't, you know, I guess yeah. um, in the context of this conversation we're having, you know, Howard Thurman wrote, also wrote incredibly about children. And there's a part where he says... Um, the doom of the children is the greatest tragedy of the disinherited. Mm. They are robbed of much of the careless mm. rapture and spontaneous joy of merely being alive. Um, I, I, here we are having this conversation in 2020, and I, it grieves me it's so deeply that if Howard Thurman came back, you know, now he would see that this is still, this is a reality. I don't know. I mean, my words are very inadequate, but I, I think you, you know what I'm... Yeah, it's America's evil gift to the world. It is. I, I said to, to my son, Elijah, uh, in, in the letter and in the film mm-hmm. that we created, I said, you do not have uh, the right to be a frolicking teenager as other children do because they will see your, your boyish movements and your laughter and you're joking with your friends as a possible threat. You're going to have to be aware when you are in certain spaces around certain individuals, especially if they have a gun. You, you, mm. you have to be aware because I want you home. I want you safe. Mm-hmm. I want to see you thrive. But the specter of death because of the weaponization of your body and the addiction. The militarization of our society. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, um, it haunts us, you know, Mm -hmm. continues to haunt us. And that's the one ghost that, uh, I'd like to permanently exercise from American society. Do you have this conversation with your father about how far we've come and how far we've not come. Yeah, we, we do. <laughs> What's that like? What's that like? It, it is, it's, it, it's a wonderful conversation because my, my, my father, who has one of the greatest voices ever, you know, it's just like he has this deep baritone voice. And mm-hmm. uh, he, I, you can hear Howard Thurman's influence in the way that he preaches. Okay. Uh, because he has these pauses, you know, it's just like, um, you know, that I, I speak much faster. Um, and then my dad is the, the, the running joke is that, uh, you know, he's, 
you know, he's, he's going to slowly, slowly take you out. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay. Yeah. But what, he, what he's been able to do and communicate it to, to myself and to his granddaughter, Michaela, and to, to Elijah um, mm-hmm. and uh, to all his grandchildren is this idea of let me share with you before you dare, you know, open your mouth to say that I am hopeless or pessimistic or cynical or we haven't gone anywhere. He, he will say, there was a woman. <laughs> Her name was Harriet Tubman. Imagine what she did not have, but imagine what she dreamed. C- could you imagine her falling into despair in this moment as we uh, are in the wake of all of these challenges and a pandemic of COVID-19 and COVID-16-19? Yeah. She can't because she took what she had and she passed it on to the next generation. And that's your job. And we don't have all that we need, but our ancestors gave us so much. And he told me a Thurman story I will never forget. Okay. <laughs> um, he said, Howard Thurman was a small boy. You see, he was he spent a seminar. He was in a seminar with Thurman, along with like Henry Mitchell and Luther Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, and when his uh, his first his first wife uh, died, um, you know, Thurman was his pastoral counsel. Uh, uh, you know, as he was you know preparing to do a funeral, um, you know, he was very very young in his in his twenties, I believe. Um, he said when Thurman was a small boy. He saw an elder, a man who must have been in his 80s, who was planting pecan or pecan trees, depending upon what part of the country you're from. Um, (laughs) And young Thurman raised the question. He said, sir, uh, you're not going to be around. You will not live long enough to taste the fruit from these trees. And the old man paused and said, son, All my life, I've been eating from trees I did not plant. Mm. It's my job to plant for somebody else. Mm. And my father said, just plant. There will be trees that you will never see grow that someone else will eat from. And it's their responsibility to plant for somebody else. And so we don't have all that we should have. We've not reached the goals that we're supposed to reach, but we have started the race. And you've got the baton, son. Mm. Pass it on. Mm. Um, as you said earlier, Jesus and the Disinherited ends with a chapter on love, having mm-hmm. done hate and fear and deception <laughs> yes. and right it ends on love and um i thought maybe that would be a good place for us to end because that's also well so I'll, let me read a little bit of just the first page of this chapter he says with he's talking about jesus um with sure artistry and great power 
he depicted what happens when a man responds directly to human need across the barriers of class, race, and condition. Every man is potentially every other man's neighbor. Neighborliness is non-spatial. It is qualitative. A man must love his neighbor directly, clearly, permitting no barriers between. Mm. And he goes on to say that this was not an easy position for Jesus to take with his, within his own community. Um, you speak of the beloved community. It feels like such resonant language now. And I just I want to know, how do you think about the possibility of love and the work of love in our time, in your generation? Hmm. This moment of racial reckoning, I, I believe I've been given the, the best glimpse of the beloved community. We have been a part of a variety of um, uh, protests uh, over the over this these pandemic months. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. Framing them now, um, and I remember going to one particular um, demonstration uh, early on uh, in the pandemic, uh, immediately after uh, the George Floyd um, incident and murder. And our church gathered, we put out the call, and we were in the middle of Bronzeville, which is the migration neighborhood in Chicago that Isabella Wilkerson talks about in The Warmth oh, of the yeah. Suns. Yeah. And here we are, this this the heart of, of this black migration, the heart of part of the south side of Chicago. And so... Our church gathered, we were on the other side of the street with some other people and other churches and uh, our BLM organizers and Black Youth 100 and Asada's Daughters and all of these um, local activists, primarily Southside and Black. Uh, And we looked on the other side of the street and we saw all these young people with skateboards uh, who were not from the Southside. And their bikes. Um, then we saw some parents with their children, and young boy holding a sign that said, um, "White silence is complicit, complicity." And and another one saying, holding a sign that says, "Black Lives Matter." And it was the strangest thing because. Everybody who was black on the other side of the street, we all right. looked at each other and we said, what is going on? <laughs> said we, and then so we started, you know, we started the protest and the demonstration. We all got together and here we were the most multiracial gathering and also in terms of class mm. and also uh, in terms of orientation, uh, there were uh, people who were gay and lesbian and people who were straight. There were Muslims standing next to Jews and Jews standing next to Pentecostals and right. Pentecostals uh, standing next to Buddhists. And we're, we're, I mean, we're just, we're all going, everybody is shouting the same thing. Black Lives Matter. And that moment that clarion call, that just that moment 
uh, and I use this term often, reminded me of the ethic that black religiosity, black spirituality has been trying to bring to America uh, for quite some time and usually embodied in the music, mm-hmm. especially the music of jazz. Uh, because jazz is about the beloved community and democracy. Hmm. Taking elements that are not supposed to play together, a music that comes out of, of, of Africanity, but then uh, connects with the indigenous community and those who are French and German in a place called New Orleans that literally is a gumbo pot of culture. <laughs> And the, the instruments in jazz are not supposed to play together. Saxophones are for marching bands. Trap drum sets are not to play with pianos. <laughs> and bass, basses are supposed to use bows, not your finger. Uh, and yet they all play together and everyone in the jazz band is given the right to solo. Meaning that <laughs> I can bring my own cultural narrative to the table and not be cast as, in other words, my landmark is never moved. I can bring who I am to the table. And in that march, I could hear America's jam session going on. Uh, And I got a glimpse of the beloved community. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, if we listen to Thurman and maybe also listen to Louis Armstrong, and Billie Holiday, <laughs> yeah. maybe America can be saved. Oh. Well, Otis, Pastor Moss, this was just, it was just such a delight and such a, I learned so much, such a, such an honor to be with you. And like, this was just such an incredible conversation. Glad you're in the world. I, um, I hope that I'll meet you in a, when the world shifts I hope again, so too. And this was we can, a dream of mine to be able to be in well, conversation with you. I have been listening to you oh. for for years, and I am a great admirer of your work. Mm-hmm. And you touch so many lives, Krista, um, and you are illuminating so many subjects that that need um, a, a light of beauty. Mm. upon them and just thank you for doing what you do Mm. i'm just i'm very moved um yeah well it's it's really a joy and um i feel like we're 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 kindred you know we're working in kindred kindred we're doing kindred work and i'm just glad to now make a direct connection and um thank you and Thank did you. I already say this? Would you please give a bow to your father for me? I will definitely do that. He's going to be so excited. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. And blessings to you for the rest of this day. And um, I'm going to keep listening to your sermons, too, because they're oh. online. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> All right.
Until we meet again. Until we meet, meet again. In May the road rise to meet you. Yes, and also <laughs> you have done Howard Thurman. I just think such justice, and I'm just so excited to to get this out in the world. So we'll we'll keep you posted on exactly. It's okay. gonna, you know, I think that's going to happen soon. We don't move as quickly right now as we used to, but we we move as fast as we can. So yeah, blessings. Blessings to you. Thank you so much.